Ours is a life of faith, even when the circumstances surrounding us would seek to plow us under. God's ability to keep us in the midst of those trials is what we're talking about today on Abounding Grace. Join us. The ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, this is Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor, Pastor Gary Wagner. As we continue our survey of Job, we find ourselves once again in chapter 40, a saint humbled before God. It's here that God shows up to respond to Job and his friends. Oh, they thought they had answers. God reminds them that he is indeed God. His ways are not our ways, nor his thoughts our thoughts. Yet in the midst of that, we are still to trust him. With more, here's Pastor Gary Wagner in today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Verse 8, why have you disannulled my judgment? Will you condemn me that you may see yourself righteous? You know, it's interesting. Critics do that with the scripture. Uh, They don't want to have to face that the Bible and its statements about God and the universe and its origins and its purposes conflict with science. So what will they do? They'll condemn God to justify themselves. Well, there's got to be something wrong with the scripture. The Bible only speaks to spiritual things, so we've got to let the big boys have the real world of science in our lives. If we complain against God's providence and say... You know, there is a a reason why I was justified in cursing. There is a reason why I was justified as a man in pursuing this immorality in whatever form because, God, this woman that you gave to me is not doing everything that she should be doing. I don't have to ask for forgiveness. What have I done wrong? We could go on and on. And the Lord said to Job, that's what you've been doing. And Job gulps, and he realizes, that is what I've been doing. God has done a lot of hard things to me, but I've, been, I've condemned him for doing them. Because I don't want to face this about myself, my, my own vileness, my, my sinfulness. I wanted to hold on to my goodness. And boy, we have to really, really be careful. Job might have thought here, Lord, haven't you sufficiently humbled me? Do we have to go on with this? I can't take any more of your glory. I already feel my vileness, and I am deeply grieved over my pride and my presumption. Now, this was true to a degree. But Job's audacity in challenging God and doubting his fatherly goodness must never come up in his life again. So the Lord says to him, Job... Do you think you are righteous? You want to school me in justice? Okay, answer me these questions. And here they are. Job, do you have power like me? Verse 9. Do you have a voice like me that can thunder like mine? Job, can you deck yourself with majesty and cover yourself with glory and beauty like I do? I mean, Job, you're not looking very good right now. It's like the Lord is saying, get up, Job, do something great. You look nasty. Make yourself beautiful. Be a man. Job verses 11, 13. Can you humble proud men like I'm humbling you? 
Can you cast them down? Can you tread down the wicked in their place like I do? Verse 13, can you hide them in the dust and cause the name of the wicked to rot and make their works never to be remembered again? Job, can you do this? Well, Job, if you can, verse 14, then I will confess unto you, you can save yourself. But of course, Job couldn't do any of these things, and neither can we. And the Lord brought forth all of these questions. But you would think, doesn't Job already know his weaknesses? I mean, the Lord is such a wise physician. Isn't Job humbled in the dust enough at this point? What is the Lord's answer here? No. Why is it? Beca- why is it? Because he just wants to grind him down more? No, it's because he loves his servant so much. And that's the chastening we need in our lives because we think, I've sinned and I've repented. Oh yeah, in three weeks I did it again. I got a little tipsy again. I got out of control with my drinking again. Oh yeah, I told the Lord I wasn't going to lie anymore. And then I told some more lies. And then we wonder why. And when God does bring chastening to us at different times in our life, it just feels like His hand is on us so heavy. Oh, maybe it's painful. Maybe it's loneliness. Maybe it's job loss. Maybe it's financial uncertainty. Whatever it may be. It could be family problems, marital problems. And we wonder, why, oh Lord? Why isn't this enough? And the Lord says, it's not enough because I love you and I'm going to bring you very low because everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. But the one who exalts himself will be abased. So the Lord here keeps the pressure on Job. Now the problem is, Job isn't the only one, is he? Who forgets God's power? Who forgets the mountain goats? Did you think about them this week? Did you think about the stars that we talked about last week? Do you think about what's going on in the depths of the sea? Well, I can't see it. No, but God does. And he governs governs everything even there. Job is not alone in allowing pain and loss and suffering to turn his attention so exclusively upon himself that he forgets like we forget that our only peace is to fall back into God's hands and to trust Him entirely with our lives. We get caught up in a kind of vortex of practical atheism, unbelief, pride, skepticism. Lord, you must not love me. Lord, if you did love me, you'd make my life look like this instead of the way it looks now. And you add to this the idea that many people in our day do believe that Man can save himself. He can find answers to his own problems. He can cure himself of all of his ills. And we can easily see the reasons for all of the blasphemies and all of the bitterness and idolatry and rebellion and frustration. But again, I'll bring this out to you. Notice the Lord never says to Job, Job, you poor thing. I've done too much to you. He never does. He also doesn't say to Job, Job, Satan has been doing this to you. It wasn't me. It's interesting in all of this that the Lord doesn't mention Satan not one time. 
Now, it's not that that Satan has been uninvolved in what's been going on. But remember, he didn't do anything except at God's bidding. So the Lord here just, just brings to Job in these lines his sovereignty, his lordship over the world, his government of our lives. Do you believe all that? Do you believe that God sovereignly governs your life? Do you apply this to your own life? Think of things in your life that make you frustrated and miserable and that you tend to complain about and doubt and worry over. Be careful because these are places where we doubt God's wisdom for us. And we need to remember the goats and we need to remember the horses and we need to remember the stars and we need to remember behemoth as we see in verse 15 to the end of this chapter. An interesting creature. The traditional designation of him is either an elephant or a hippopotamus. I don't like either one of those. I don't think they fit the idea here at all. I think it's probably some form of dinosaur. Most of the traditional views of this text were formed before we found the remains of these large creatures. And you know, the word dinosaur wasn't even used before the 19th century. But notice the description of this creature quickly. And then I'll try and explain why I think the Lord brings this creature up. He was a grass eater. He was made right along with man. So at some level, Job knew of its existence, maybe because they were still in existence or maybe because the memory of them was still fresh. This creature was very strong, abdominally, verse 16. He moves his tail like a cedar. And this is why, for me, it makes it impossible for this creature to be an elephant or a hippopotamus, because remember, they have very small tails. He moved his tail like a cedar. And moveth is a verb that denotes the tall, the tail moves erect like a cedar tree. So this is a large tail, and it is very strong. This is a large creature. His bones are extremely strong. Notice this isn't just a creature, verse 19. He is the chief of God's way. You're not going to be able to capture this creature. At the end of verse 19 and 24, this is implied. The Egyptians used to have a happy hippopotamus hunting festival. So hippopotamuses are not impossible to capture, right? Nor are elephants. So this is a very, very large animal by which God reveals his magnificence. Notice something of his habitat. This is, this is actually one of the longer, along with Leviathan in the next chapter, descriptions of God's creatures in the book of Job. Sometimes he goes into the mountains to graze. He seems to be something of a friendly, communal creature. The other animals are nearby, so this certainly can't be a T-Rex. He likes the shady areas, probably along the rivers and the brooks. Verse 22, he likes the willows and drinks up water by the river full. He's, not in, he's in no real hurry. He probably thinks he can just drink up the Jordan and is not threatened by any other animals or by the rushing water itself. So this is a very, very large, magnificent, at some level, gentle, at least with other animals, type of creature. But verse 24 is very clear. His nose and neck pierce through snares. So he has a long neck to balance out his tail. And men are not going to be able to 
capture him. So a very interesting creature. And what is the point of bringing him up here? First, we should have many questions when we talk about dinosaurs. But I think the main points are these. This creature is not mystical. He is not a myth. There is nothing in the text to suggest that this is a myth. Job was familiar with his existence. Our knowledge is obviously limited. But I have no problem with assuming that some of these species, maybe younger, smaller versions, were taken with Noah on the ark, but later died out due to changes in climate and habitation after the flood. But the main reason God brings up this creature to Job is again to humble him. These large creatures, even the large creatures that exist today, should leave us dumbfounded by God's power and His greatness and His ability to create, control, guide, and feed these magnificent both land and sea creatures. What kind of power is this in God that made them? Where did He come up with the food that's required to feed them? Why didn't they overrun the land since they were so big? Why did the Lord not see fit to preserve them until the present day? I think these kinds of questions bring us back to the main point of this whole chapter, and that is, we live in God's world. It's not ours. What is more surprising to me than the extinction, the extinction of creatures like these is that man has not become extinct. And I don't say that from any kind of Blade Runner or Mad Max philosophy. But we have rebelled against God and broken covenant with Him. And we do complain against His providences. And our lives hang precariously in the balance. And our bodies are host of thousands of diseases. And yet the Lord still continues to preserve us. We have raped His land with wars and unwise stewardship. Yet the Lord preserves us. So the Lord says, Job, look at Behemoth. He is huge. And I take care of him. Again, we can't hear enough that God takes care of us. What should that do to us if we really believe it? Oh, it's sinful to worry. The Lord says, take no thought for tomorrow. He he doesn't give this to us, beloved, as an option. It is a command. He says, cast your cares upon me because I do care for you. You know, it's sinful to worry. Because really when we are worrying, we say, Lord, you know, I kind of know you're in control. But these problems are so big that you need me worrying to help you govern the world. or, Or at least to make me feel better. And the Lord says... No, I don't. So are we going to trust Him? Are we going to love Him? Are we going to devote ourselves to His service? Or like Job, are we going to continue to complain? Look, Job, a behemoth that's going by. You might say that's not possible. It certainly was possible. We don't know everything. The world is not what we think it is. Maybe one of these huge creatures was going by in a distance and the Lord says, Job, do you see that? Can you capture him? Can you tame him? Do you know what he eats? Job, I know all of these things. And if we could just be firmly persuaded 
that our lives are in God's hands, that no evil will happen to the righteous, that He works all things together for good to those who love Him. Do you believe that? If we would just trust in this, we wouldn't worry. We wouldn't doubt. When He has put us on our sickbed, we wouldn't even complain. You know, I've read a biography of David Livingston. And his wife was with him sometimes in Africa. And this was in the years between 1850s and 1860s. His, her, her, his wife's mother wrote a letter to her daughter when she was returning to Africa. And this would actually be the last time that she would ever communicate with her daughter. Because she would die soon after she returned to be with her husband. Her mom was recounting to her daughter all the trials she had gone through. But at the end of the letter, the mother says, When we stand with the blood-washed multitude, everything we have gone through in this life, we will confess it was not ever too much. Actually, it was not enough. Do we believe that God governs our lives like this? And that he saved us through the blood of his son. And that he loves us. If so, we must never, never worry. Now that doesn't mean we're a passive. And just let go and let God do everything. But it does mean, Lord, I'm going to submit to your providences. I'm going to trust that you know what is best for me. Whether I live or die, my life is in your hands. I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to try and micromanage. I'm not going to try and control things so that they go the way I want them to go. I'm not going to fret. I'm going to truly believe. And this is where poor Job is being brought to. I'm going to truly believe that when I am in the dust and ashes, when my children are dead and in the grave, when I have lost my health, my wealth, blessed be the name of the Lord. He intends good for me in this. I don't know how, but I don't have to see it. I just have to trust Him. Though He slays me, yet will I trust Him. The Lord, I think, is bringing Job to where he does make that confession in chapter 42. So the meat for me here in conclusion, hopefully it will help you, is that this has been a good chapter for me about trust. Do I really trust the Lord? You know, we throw that phrase around a lot. Yeah, trust the Lord. But there's no lack in those who supposedly trust the Lord. But why do so many people then worry and fret? Trust the Lord. How blessed is the man who trusts the Lord and takes refuge in Him. Beloved, do you trust Him? The Lord says, Job, learn from the behemoth. He'll say in the next chapter, look at Leviathan. Look how I take care of everything. Look at the stars. I call all the stars by name. They sing my choruses and my praises all the day long. Do you trust the Lord? Do you trust Him? One of the first things we've got to do if we're going to trust the Lord is that we say to Him in all honesty and humility, 
Lord, if I try to control my life and make things go like I want them to go, it's going to mess up my life. It's not my place to try and run my life. And you know, I think repentance and trust are almost identical twins. In repentance, we turn to the Lord. And in trust, we say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. You do with me what you will. But you don't know my circumstances. Some of you may be saying, well, faith and repentance and trust say God is the Lord of my circumstances. He's the Lord of my parents. He's the Lord of my spouse. He's the Lord of my children. He's the Lord of this country. He's the Lord of the Supreme Court. I'm going to trust Him. He's going to always do right by me. Paul said in one place, the Lord will keep what I have committed to Him against that day. He will keep it. No one who trusts in the Lord will ever be disappointed. But Job has been complaining while saying, God, I, I know you're righteous. He says, but what about me? What about what I'm going through? It's not right. I can see how you're doing really good for that family over there. You're blessing them, but what about me? You see, Job's problems have made him very self-focused. So the Lord is bringing him out to see his glory in the world, to humble him and to teach his servant to trust him once again. The Lord never says, this is why I killed your children. He could have had Satan do it, but he did it. Okay, Job, you've complained enough. He never said that. He never said, let me tell you why you lost everything. He just reveals his glory to Job in such a way to teach Job, trust me, trust me. So do we. Trust is a very, very joyful way to live, my friends. It's a hopeful way to live. Wait a minute, I'm going to work tomorrow. I don't like my job particularly. It's not what I really want to be doing. But Lord, I'm trusting that you know what you are doing with my life. And so as I do my work as heartily unto you, I know you will bless me. Lord, I've got to go home and deal with this problem there. My marriage, finances, or a sickness. And I don't really want it, but... You wanted it, so it's okay. You're causing all things to work together for good for those who love you. Remember Joseph in the dungeon? Lord, I sure would like to be home. You told me that my brother's sheaves were going to bow down to mine, but I'm in a dungeon. And yet Joseph, as a young man, not much older than some of you young bucks here, he knew my brothers meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. So I'm going to trust Him. So let's pray. And ask the Lord to teach us to trust in Him. And see His glory in the world in which we live. And to love Him above everything else. And to trust that He will always do what is right and good. For His own glory and for our good. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we... Thank you for the way you humble your saints, for the way you bring us to repentance and continue to work on us and sift us. And you don't ever let us go. Certainly, we would like you to let us go much sooner. 
because it can be painful and wearisome. Throughout the book of Job, you have taught us that it is all very good. Help us to trust fully in all your providential care and not complain and whine, but to fall back into your hands for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you'd take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. That's four zero eight eight six six five six zero seven. Our website, where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us, is reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, you can write to us at PMB. That stands for Post Mailbox Number four zero two fourteen eighty four Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is nine five zero three two. Now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. Mm